0: Welcome, everybody. I'm Valerie Williams of Dimensional Talent Streams. Welcome back again with me this week for another special guest, Todd Coleman in the house one of my colleagues in a group that we have met through a mutual mentor that we share. So, so glad to have you a part, uh, Todd, of the Dimensional Talent Stream family. Glad to have you. Thank you for taking your busy time out of the Thanksgiving holiday to be a part. So tell us for the audience here, viewers and audiences here, um, who Todd is. Just give us a little bit about your background. Who's Todd? What do you do? What do you love? to do what he hate to do and all that good stuff
1: okay well it's 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 not an easy answer honestly because i started out as a cartoonist so i started publishing in high school and college had a comic strip running in college that i was sending to my hometown and then uh but i went to nyu film school to be an animator i came out a filmmaker wow. so then i decided well i better uh i I better learn how to write so i'll have something to direct so um so i worked on a screenplay for just you know started writing screenplays on spec this Mm -hmm. was in new york um also traveled with this uh husband and wife team christian couple doing films for churches and missionary groups around the world so we got to go to Australia, England, Central America, really Mm -hmm. fun couple of years. That was really great. And then one day the wife said to me, so if you're so serious about movies, what are you doing in New York? Uh So I thought, oh, oh, and as it happened, I had a sister and um, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, which is just an amazing place to grow up. Oh, you know, yes. I'm in North Carolina. They're my neighbors. Of course. course. (laughs) So um, came out here. Um and basically ended up writing for the Hollywood Reporter for 12 years um with some really cool side gigs um as the head researcher for a couple of books on Hollywood. Mm. Um so that was really fun. And then um then the internet kind of showed up and uh I uh I I started using my writing gifts writing for websites. So mm-hmm. started writing for for uh, Xerox and different, different companies working through an agency. And, um, uh, and and basically that's been my kind of bread and butter work for the last 20 years. Um, But, you know, I've also done a, a, kept the screenwriting up. I'm five years into a book called Confessions of a Recovering Peter Pan. Nice. Um, And uh, recently I launched um a website which is kind of funny gifts for boomers. Yeah. So it's called Boomtown Rags. So it's hats, t-shirts, mugs. Um that kind of call back to the groovy peace and love of the sixties mm-hmm. with the theme of aging hippies. And um to kind of call us back to unity because our country is so crazy divided right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So that's
1: that's a quick overview.
0: Nice, nice. So you've got a vast knowledge. It's interesting how our paths take these twists and turns, but there's always a common thread, you know, and then we fall back onto it. It's just so interesting because I hear the copywriting, the playwriting, just writing in general and film, and all of that is so related. So it's interesting when we think we're off our path or our trajectory or, you know, this career path, that God and in his intricacies still has us on this path, you know, and he just uses everything for his good. And when you think about, okay, where are we now and how all of that pulls together, it's just like, Oh, say la, I got to ponder and think about that. <laughs> so I, think I, I, awesome. actually,
1: I, I actually have a little story to illustrate your very point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh I, I have worked on. I, I worked in feature films for a brief period after film school, and um, and someone I knew who was kind of a Christian mentor um, pulled me in and wanted me to write something that used to exist called a World's Fair show. So he wanted me to write a crit. He he got together 14 church denominations to have kind of a, a Christian presence at the 1982 World's Fair. and I've just completely dated myself. So, um, <laughs> so, right. so and, and my first reaction is like, well, no, I want to write movies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This isn't movies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I was really tempted to turn it down, you know? And, oh, my gosh, by the grace of God, I didn't, because it was an amazing year working for the guy who directed Steve McQueen's first movie, mm-hmm. which is the classic black and white horror film from the 50s, the blob interesting steve mcqueen started in the blob wow and steve mcqueen later became a christian Even better better. so so it's amazing to me because very often i've been very frustrated like okay i go down one path Mm -hmm. and i'm so excited about it and then i get this shiny object over here oh it's a completely different career path boom boom, boom 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 then next i'm over here and you think, well, how can I build long-term momentum? Yeah, in a career, if I'm if I keep zigzagging, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I guess kind of like a sailboat, sometimes you have to zigzag. You have to you have to tack constantly, but you're still going in a general direction. Absolutely. And luckily, luckily, God knows what that direction is because I often don't.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I hear you mentioning God. So talk to us a little bit about um, your faith. You know, we're going to have a mixed multitude that will always come back and watch and, and listen. So talk to us um, a little bit about your faith, Todd, and how that relates to where you are now. I mean, I kind of want to backtrack because you're just a wealth of information because I've I've seen you consistently when I come on to our group. You know the group that we share through our mentor Steve K. Um, and you are always there, always timely. I've always sensed like such a sense of humor, and you're Adam. You know you're, you're you're so animated, and and I love it. And to be able to see that part of you with such humor, I just I just love that. Um, but share with us about your faith, how you came to faith, what faith is for those who are just totally oblivious. Because to be honest, we will have a mixed multitude. We're gonna have those who are just like totally. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about.
1: Well, well, let me just say that, you know, everything I do is not for a faith-based audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because, because if you say something's for a faith-based audience, it's, you're just putting yourself in this tiny ghetto, mm-hmm. you know, and you become really irrelevant to the culture. Right. You know? um, so, so it's kind of a miracle that I came to faith because my father is a minister. And preachers' kids, PKs, are not known for like (laughs) (laughs) like, the rebellious. uh, (laughs) But I I was the firstborn of four kids, growing up in the South, and um, and I kind of, I kind of felt like so. So I I was always kind of my attitude was basically all religions lead to the same place, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I said that to a, a group once, a Christian group I was at. And and someone said, well, you know, Christianity is different for this reason and that reason. And I thought, well, of course, you think that you've been soul. You you're not enlightened like me, you know,
0: mm.
1: and um, and and in high school, there were different times when I really reached out to God. I mean, just like prayed my heart out, just in yeah. tears on the floor, just God whoever you are, I want to know you reveal yourself. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And it was like, there was a door that was in front of me and it was just locked shut. Yeah. And it, and it was really like, God was on the other side of the door, but he was going like, you know, I can't open this time, you know, it's just wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because you're you, you know, because you know how we, we pick up messages when we're young and we, figure things out in bizarre ways and we think oh I must be the problem you know
0: Uh, yeah
1: so so one day I just happened to get invited to this someone's bible study in their room and and this is where that conversation took place and for some reason I don't know how or why instead of praying to God I prayed to Jesus okay and God showed up
0: all the difference in the world
1: Oh, my gosh. And I, I had a vision. Ironically, it took me decades to make the connection to the door. But what I, what it was, was this ancient oak door opening mm-hmm. in slow motion, outer space is behind its stars, mm-hmm. and I'm floating weightlessly through this door. Mm-hmm. And I'm crying. I'm the happiest I've ever been. These people in the room that I couldn't relate to, I'm suddenly going, you're my sister. You're my brother. I love you. I just fill with this love. So I'm like wow, what just happened, you know? Right. Um, But then I went back to life as normal. There was nothing to kind of support that with. I was was in Washington, D.C. when that happened. Went back, finished high school, went to college. And then this this guy knocked on my door at 9 p.m. at night and said, would you like to talk about Christ? And I thought, wow, what a poor loser this guy is. What a schmuck. He's got... (laughs) he's got nothing better to do than knock on a stranger's door at nine at night and, and ask him the the worst opening line in history. Oh my gosh. So, so um, I, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, my father's in the religious business. I'll, I will, um, I'll be a real nice guy and listen to him for five minutes in the hallway, let him go away. And I'll think, damn, I'm the nicest guy in the world, you know? Right. So I did that, not knowing that Dale was the most persistent human being on the planet. Mm. So for the next year, he dragged me to every seminar, Bible study, lecture, fellowship, blah, 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 for a year. And, and I was the kind of guy who couldn't say no. OK, like I, I dated a girl in seventh grade because I heard she had a crush on me. I didn't even like her. I gave, <laughs> I, I gave her an, I gave her an ID bracelet with my name on it to turn her wrist green, you know, from Woolworths. <laughs>
0: oh, you really dating yourself Woolworths. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so God used the fact that he knew I couldn't say no. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, you know, yeah. a little yeah. bit of a people pleasing there. Um. So then one day, but during that year, I got this awkward, terrible feeling that God was saying like, okay, we've been dating. Why don't we get married? I'm like, please, Lord. No. I mean, yes, eventually, but not now. I'm in college. I'm in college. Give me some time here. You know, Uh, I just got here. And. um, And then one day, Gail would ride his bike two miles to do a Bible study with me before my first class at 8 a.m., you know. And was I grateful? No. I thought, how did I get saddled with this religious freak? Mm -hmm. Not even grateful. And one day he popped the question. I dreaded. Is there any reason why you can't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? I'm like, God, please give me a reason, please. I'm praying. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. So. So it's like I'm it's like I'm it's like running off the edge of a cliff at night. And hoping there's someone to catch you Um, because I'm a really loyal person. And I knew that if God didn't exist, I would continue to be a devout Christian for the rest of my life, even though God didn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. So instead what happened to my surprise, I had another vision and 20 feet away, as if my eyes, I'm sitting in the grass behind my dorm. This is, I'm a sophomore in college now, 20 feet away. The sun's coming up behind him. I see Jesus standing in the grass. I'm like, whoa. So that's what Jesus looks like. And uh, and then next, it's like cut to close up. He's right here. And I'm right here. And I'm looking in Jesus's eyes. And um, looking in his eyes, I knew that he knew every pain that I'd ever experienced. Hmm. And I was a kid in denial, so I didn't even know I was in pain Um, because we had issues in our family that, you know, make you go into denial. And um, but I I thought in that moment, as long as one other person in the universe knows about this, I can let it go. I can let this go. Mm -hmm. So I felt this massive weight roll off my shoulders. and it was great. And now I'm sitting back in the grass um, and I'm looking at the brick wall of the dormitory and I see myself standing there. And it's like I'm standing in front of a firing squad. And the weird thing is it didn't feel weird. It felt like, okay, this is it. It's Mm -hmm. the end. Now I'm going to be executed. And the shots rang out and the body fell to the ground. And I looked and it wasn't my body. It was Jesus. And he was dead. Mm -hmm. So here I just made this great friend who knew me better than anyone on the planet. And he was dead. Yeah. So then I turned around and he was here smiling at me. Mm. So up to that moment, I didn't get the whole, why do you need Messiah? You know, my attitude was, let's cut out the middleman. Me and God, that's good enough. You know, mm. um, why, why the cross? I didn't get the cross. Like, I'm a good person. Come on, you know. Um, so God had to spell it out for me you know, so that was a long time ago, that was college, and so that's, at that moment, I thought, okay, I'm in.
0: Wow, wow, that, that's that's heavy, that's heavy, it's, he comes, <laughs> you know, I always like to say that when the Lord comes for us, he comes for us recklessly, recklessly, Mm-hmm. um and every testimony i hear i'm just like there he was demonstrating his reckless love i understand that song really understand that song a literally reckless love because he really comes recklessly for us and if that is not a demonstration of i can't even fathom just the bottom the just the how deep the wide the wet the the, the width the depth the height taught of his love it just it just is like i mean to send to send
1: dale this guy who would not give up when i'm all this time i'm just trying to how can i shake this guy yeah and and now 40 years later not a week goes by i don't say thank you god for dale bless him wherever he is because i <laughs> bet i bet because I bet. Uh, almost a week later see in the dream it was interesting cut the close-up it's like medium shot Mm close-up a week later i had applied to nyu film school and a week later i got accepted i got the letter Uh to dale this was tragedy like oh i was going off to new york city there goes my faith there goes all this hard work you know sure, sure. in city but for me um in other words god used the language of film Mm -hmm. cut up close up, wide shot, medium shot to, to come to me to, in, in a vision. It's just, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's I very personal. It. I love it. I love it. And that's the thing. He comes to us, how we know we will understand so that we can know undeniably that it is him and that he sees us and knows us to last David said, you know, you know, from the pit, <laughs> From the pits, so thank you for sharing and being so transparent with sharing that. I always you know want to hear people's testimonies and that. So tell us a little bit more. Let's shift gears a little bit now and tell us what Todd is doing right now you You talked about copywriting from your experience with copywriting. Tell us a little bit more about that, like how does that develop? I know for me. People I used to have, people come and tell me, you know, you're going to be a writer. You're going to be a writer. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay. And, you know, and I would just shelf it. And I knew that there was truth to it, Todd, because I journaled the minute I had my relationship with Christ back in the summer, you know, Passover season, April of twenty two thousand one. 2001. Remember, like it was yesterday. I could tell you what I had on, what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. And that moment of I surrender, God. Um, I used to have journals, journals and journals and journals, bags. Like I can go into one of my storerooms right now and just pull out these bags of journals. And so I didn't even think anything about it at that time. I'm just writing, you know, that was my part of my relationship with the Lord and to track everything he was saying to me. And so I didn't think anything of it. And then people used to sit, I would be in church and I would just get revelation and I would write, I'd have to pull out the pen. And there were times, Todd, when I, my face would just go blank. And all of a sudden I knew that the writing was being taken over and I, it would just, it was just like this, like a typewriter and my face would be blank. And so, but I never really thought about that. That was the beginning of, you know, writing beginning to form. And so years later now having a business and being introduced through copyright through another mentor and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's what all those journals were. And how they were developing and being shaped and molded and how you can use them in a greater capacity. So it's not just journaling, it's it's the copywriting, it's it's the blogging, it's, it's the advertising that we're doing and all the creative juices that go, that are a part of that. So I'm, I just look back and I'm just like, wow, wow. Um, one of my mentors, Terry Wilson, he has a mantra that he always says that says, develop, no, discover, develop, monetize discover, develop, monetize. And I look back at that because it wasn't until this year that I realized, oh my goodness, how journaling has turned into do, 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 do. And so now when I hear people and they say, oh, I do this in the business, I do advertising, I do marketing or right, copywriting. I'm just like, ooh, ooh <laughs> let me learn more. Let me learn more. What, what do you have to say about it? You know? Um, so tell us what you have learned with copyright. Well, you natural? were always a natural, you had the writing, you know, so obviously there was a natural, and you correct me if I'm wrong, inclination to writing.
1: Yes. And at the same time, I'm a big believer that, you know, I define talent as you're able to do something easily that is impossible for everyone else, Mm -hmm. you know, or just like really hard for everyone else. But the weird thing is that because it's so easy for you, a lot of people, and I was one of them. When you have a talent, even if it's this great talent, um you kind of take it for granted because it comes so easily, you think it's not that big a deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, so it was a really big deal for me when, you know, my high school honors English professor said, uh, as if he was telling me I had cancer. Uh well, Todd, I I, I do think you have uh some talent as a writer. Um what is that bad news? What? Um so. Uh, so, so I found it really helpful when people would tell me I was talented because somehow I didn't really know. I don't know who I am until someone tells me, you know, you're really good at this. I'm really, you, I mean, you don't do that. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of think if you can do it, everyone can do it. Right. You know? So, right. so that just speaks to the importance of affirming people's gifts in general.
0: Right. right. But
1: to get to your question, um, so yeah, I uh, one of the early on, really out of film school, I heard a fantastic lecture, um, ironically by the guy that I eventually worked with um, on the World's Fair show, who d- directed it, um, where he talked about the the basics, which everyone has heard, um, which is that you know the first rule of communication, any communication is know your audience. And I I always start with that. I always emphasize that because what copywriting is for me, what it requires, good copywriting, is it's as if you have to see the world through the eyes of your audience. You don't start with your message. You don't start with the brand message that your client hires you to write. You start with who is this audience, What do they like? What do they do? What's their worldview? What do they hate? What keeps them up at night? And you see the world through their eyes and you think, now, what is it about this brand message that would appeal to me given who I am? So you're always reverse engineering through the eyes of your audience and going like, well, this this part of it would appeal to me. And so copywriting is, is kind of like, coming up alongside someone and, and just starting a conversation, but you kind of start with something that, that lets them, you know, you know, let's say you meet someone for the first time and they say, they, they, they just say something casual and you go like, Oh my gosh. Yes. You're just suddenly like, we must be soulmates. This is un, unbelievable. Yes. And then the, you're off and running. So one of the ways that you do that as a copywriter is you, you just casually mention a pain point for them, something that just like,
0: Come on, Todd. You know,
1: it's driving them crazy. You know, it's just making their life so difficult. And then you and then you just hint at you got a solution, and they're suddenly all ears like, okay, wait, I, I'm in. I'm in. I'll stop flipping the magazine. I'll stop flipping the channels. Okay, what? Tell me. Because you're talking to me now. You know, you're talking to me, and you're speaking my language. That's another thing. You just got to speak the language, you know. Mm-hmm. For some audiences, you can be – you can use – Three syllable, four syllable words, you know. For some audience, you just keep it street, you know. Um, So you have to, Paul's way of saying this to the Jew, I'm a Jew, to the Greek, I'm a Greek, you know. You just show up to your audience like you're them. You're just one of them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that would be the number one, the number one rule.
0: (laughs) So talk to me then or us about your just the creative process. So do you have like you know <laughs> I keep saying this I probably sound like a broken record on some of my um some of my podcasts but just how, why I love collaborating because just the knowledge and the cross-pollination that comes across. And what I learned by people's routines and what they do and, you know, just getting into their head and what makes them tick and how they do what they do. And so I like to pull that out of people for, you know, for, for the listeners in the audience. So talk to us about routine. Do you have a routine Todd like a daily routine that you do when you're waking up to get yourself going, to get those creative juices going when you know, okay, I've got to sit down. I've got to come up with, um, you know, I've got to work on, for example, the new website that you have done. Um, What do you do to get yourself psyched up, routine to get your your creative juices going?
1: Um, To prime the pump that, I mean, to me, priming the pump is what you're talking about because if you just go up to a pump that hasn't been used in a while you can pump and nothing, nothing comes out like no creativity, no ideas. Right. Right. So, so what you have to do is you have to keep pumping until, or or sometimes you put water in it to kind of force, you know, you, you pump and pump. So to prime the pump, I love research. You know, I love, I could be researching the audience. I could research, like if it's a, a brand client, I will research the brand language. What have they done before? What are the emails they sent? What's their website? What's their um, advertising? And just what kind of language? What's the tone of the language? What's um, How do they relate to the audience? Um, or, you know, you may be writing about something technical and you've got, you know, a stack of technical specs about new software that you have to write about. And so now you're just crunching that and trying to get it. You're trying to get it, you know. Into your brain well enough so that you can explain it to a kindergartner, you
0: yeah. know, right, right. Uh,
1: because you always want, you know, you never want to speak jargon. You never want to, you know, you. I, I always like to speak to a lay audience. So, so one of the things I love doing is explaining difficult, complex, or even boring subjects and making them interesting and easy to understand. Mm. Mm. Um. So, so research. Also known as procrastination is an excellent way to start any project.
0: <laughs> I love it. So so what is Todd doing now in his current journey? Now you talked about your new website. Talk to us a little bit about that, what that is, how that developed, why, what why the project that you're doing now. You mentioned Unity. But talk to us a little bit more about that. And yeah, that, so,
1: and finally, so um so we both have Steve Kay as a mentor and um and and he taught many cor- bis- business courses. And I signed up basically because he had a course on writing a bestseller. So right. I was only interested in that. But I kept hearing about these other courses like create a drop shipping business. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am not interested in having a drop shipping business, you know. <laughs> and um I'm just interested in this. But then one day I was at church talking to a friend and joking. And I came up, I said, you know, we should have a hat that says make America groovy again, you know, and everybody laughed and was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. So I kind of got a little slightly obsessed about that and worked with a worked with one designer and then worked with another designer and actually had some money at the time was and one month, 60 designs and three designers later. Mm. came up with a design that would be readable instantly readable but also groovy because you know lettering fonts in the 60s were groovy and hard to read
0: right right
1: so it took that long to come up and this thing had to be able to be embroidered on a hat mm-hmm. so I had to reduce it to two colors I couldn't use groovy colors so I could just use two things so so anyway I developed this hat and got very excited about it. then and remembered oh yeah I had that t-shirt idea and then the whole, somehow just the 60s, you know, part of the book that I'm writing talks about just how, what a what a watershed moment the 1960s were for the culture we're in now. Because mm-hmm. the culture wars that we're in today is really can be boiled down to a war between the 1950s and the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It's a war between the masculine, even hyper-masculine, and insensitive 1950s and the feminine may be over fem, over over sensitive um 1960s and when and you know with human beings you need a balance of masculine and feminine when you don't have that things get weird you get yeah. toxic masculinity or toxic femininity mm-hmm. so um so i've been working and thinking a lot in terms of you know the impact of the 60s and how that happened and how the baby boomers were unique in creating. It was the first generation in history that could create the Peter Pan syndrome, which is the refusal to grow up. Mm -hmm. It was the first generation in history that could say, you know, right when everyone's saying, you know, suit up and show up for the jungles of corporate America or the jungles of Vietnam. Which one do you want? And they said, we'll take neither, please. Mm-hmm. And they and there was enough prosperity and, and affluence and privilege across the white middle class mm-hmm. that they could just drop out of society, you know, tune in, drop out, um, opt out. They could just opt out of adulthood or, or, you know, responsibility or whatever. Everything's easy and free, free love, everything. You right. know. And. Um, so so that was kind of behind this. And then I was also super influenced when i was a kid by underground comics of the 60s which i'm not recommending anyone read because they're they are x-rated they're they're you know there's some genius work in there i was a huge fan of robert crumb a particular artist totally kind of sexually perverted in his way and everything else but a genius just a genius in the way he created, you know, keep on trucking that image, right, Mr. Right. Natural,
0: those taglines, tag Fritz
1: the cat. The images that he created are just iconic, you know. So I was very influenced by those comics and I was a cartoonist. So the idea of putting hippies and comic strips together. And it just kind of came together with the 60s theme of these kind of aging hippies. So <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you my business card. Hope you can read this, see this. Um,
0: oh, you know, wow. Very colorful. Yeah, that, that is you. That so is- basically
1: taking the 60s, is that in focus? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Okay. So taking the classic photo from Sergeant Peppers re- and then replacing the head with kind of icons of, of freedom of the 60s and saying, what if they were alive today? Well, they are the spirit you know, of freedom and liberation is alive in anyone who loves their enemies and wants unity and wants to bring people together. And just kind of, so the sixties became a way to say peace and love. Come on, let's go back to, and also to do it in a funny way. We're talking to make America groovy again. Everyone laughs. It's like, you don't take it seriously, but at the same time you think, yeah, we, we really lost our groove mm-hmm. as
0: That's a culture. So well. So good, so good, so good. I know because I think of some of those taglines now of, you know, just the United States as a nation and what's being said now, like, let's make America great. You know, we know what the true message is behind that, but you just think of, you know, to your point of a make a make America great. What, um, tell us now in your journeys from film writing, writing in general, and just um, your journey, What are some of your biggest takeaways that you could share with our audience in respects to copywriting and and just writing in general and that whole creativity and so forth?
1: Um, I need a hook to hang that on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Let me just start with just a general life advice before we get into the writing. And um, when, and this ties into what I said before. Very often, opportunities show up and they don't look like what you're expecting.
0: Say that again, Todd.
1: Very often, like a major opportunity shows up in front of you and you think, no, that's not, what, that's not it. Because you think, I'm going in this direction and that looks different, you know. And I'll tell you a, f- a story. I was at a taping of a of a sitcom at Warner Brothers, just in the audience, you know. And they had this comedian as a warm up person, who because you're there four hours to shoot a thirty minute sitcom, you know, because they're they're taking breaks, they're moving the cameras, stuff like that. Gotcha. So the the warm up guy keeps everyone entertained in the audience, you know. And so the warm up guy said, "I got twenty bucks for anyone who can sing the theme song for the Flintstones," and I desperately needed twenty bucks that day. And so I ran down and he said, what's your name? Uh, Todd Bowman, you know, and a, a bizarre thing happened. Everything out of my mouth was really funny. Um, and I'm surprised. He, I'm not surprised. Well, it was a surprise to me because it was completely, you know, and he kept me up for 45 minutes. He became the straight man. And I did comedy for 45 minutes, not ever, never wanting a comedy career, never, Thinking about it. So this is leading to, I later found out from a friend who knew him that he was considering hiring me as a stand-up guy for the sitcoms, which would have paid me a thousand dollars a night in the 90s. -hmm. And I didn't have the guts. It was too out of my, it was too foreign to me. It was too to to pursue it. And, you know, that would have changed my life dramatically. Mm -hmm. And 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 this ties into there's genius and boldness. Um, I'll, I'll tell another story. Um, uh, I was trying desperately when I was in New York to break into feature films, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like, and one day I was in the DGA building director's guild and I, I was smoozing with the secretaries. I didn't know what, you know, I was doing. And as I'm about to get on the elevator, I see a door that said, try Winkler. I think maybe that's entertainment. Maybe that's Henry Winkler. And so I did the bravest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. I knocked on that door. I mean, literally, I marked that as the bravest act I've ever done. Cause I didn't know, I, you know, now I know knocking on doors, not a big deal, but to, to me, then that was like, you know, and a guy opened and said, yeah, we're shooting a film. They're, they're going to be coming back. They're out of town now, you know, stay in touch. I stay in touch. Long story short. I get hired to work on raging bull and I am in the year that I'm working on this. I'm the only, everyone says, who got you your job because you don't get a job like that unless you're someone's nephew or niece. And I'm like, I was the only person and two months into the job, they said, Oh, Bob needs someone to drive him around. Um, Don't do a good job because we need you here in the office. And the next day he said, you're Bob's new driver. That's Robert De Niro. So I became his personal assistant for a year because I knocked on a door and I didn't know what was behind it.
0: Oh God, come on. That's a mic drop. That's a mic drop. That That's, that's weighty. That's weighty. It just reminds me, and I don't want to kind of get off topic, but it kind of is in the same vein with an opportunity that you and I um, are involved in through one of our mentors, Steve Kay, and I'll share just to piggyback on that idea. As a matter of fact, I I think I can kind of, if I look back at this year and I even look back to 2020 COVID and to just see the sovereignty and the hand of the Lord in that, you know, I, I just step back and I'm just, you know, the fear of the Lord just comes on me like, whoa, like like only you could have done that, and that's not to say I've arrived. There's still a lot that has to be done. There's failures still that that we're in the midst of that. But I say all that to say, example with with, with um, you know, with an opportunity that we're involved in. Who would ever thought Todd that opportunity? When I heard that opportunity, now this I heard that opportunity Passover season. It came two to three days after I had this major prophetic word. Um, and, and, and it confirmed that said word, and it, it was just like, it just blew my top off. Like it just parted my hair way back, like, whoa. And so I jumped out on that opportunity, you know, we're talking about. And, um, but then it was like, Lord, had I not, it, you know, he prepared me for it because I probably would have been like, oh no, I'm not involved. Because I remember when, when, um, the digital currency started to come about. And I had gotten involved in some things with digital currency and even with another one of my mentors. And I got involved. It didn't pan out so great, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, so then when this opportunity, I was like, I'm not interested. Matter of fact, even one of my clients that I coach, she has a you know um, wellness practice in Virginia. And she and I were talking and I was helping her with some things. And she mentioned crypto to me. And this was days before we had our announcement with steve k about our opportunity and i was like oh i'm not interested blah 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 i'm like and i remember emphatically i was like i'm not interested no i'm not i'm not looking at it i was like i i am just not interested moving on and so when steve k said listen i'm bringing all of you in this and and then it was like okay i just knew like okay authority I just knew the authority and the weight in that. And I was like, okay, because I had defiantly said, no, I'm not interested. And it was that same way that our mentor, Steve, came and said, I'm bringing you guys all into this. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. So that's an example of how, you know, those turns and knowing opportunity, knowing and developing your gut, your gut instinct, you know, we call that discernment. But I, that's a perfect example. And I piggyback on that to say, had I just was like, no, and not even heard when I had that opportunity again, it would have been like, ooh, because now that opportunity is just so, we won't even get on that subject. That's another show. <laughs> but to talk about that opportunity and knowing opportunity and not being fearful to walk through the door, knock on the door and walk through the door. Is and
1: part, part of what you're talking about is just open-mindedness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and I have come to believe that open-mindedness is an incredibly rare thing. You know, in ancient Greece, Diogenes used to walk around looking for an honest man. I'm like walking around looking for an open-minded person, you know, it is, it is so rare because we all think we're open-minded.
0: Right. Until we but, get challenged.
1: Yeah. And so I define open-mindedness as, a high threshold for cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. When someone presents you a fact that completely messes with your worldview and like, that can't be true. I got to shut it down. I got to, I got to debunk it. Boom. You know, and an open-minded person, you know, a a wise man can learn from a fool, but a fool can't learn from a wise man. A fool can't learn from anyone because they already know everything. You know, Um, and so open mindedness just means I'm willing to learn even if you're a fool, even if I don't like the source of the thing. doesn't mean, you know, in our divided world, for example, we're all thinking our side has 100 percent of the truth and their side has zero percent of the truth. Now, what is the likelihood that an entire group of people has zero percent of the truth, that they don't know any? (laughs) <laughs> or that we have a hundred percent of the truth. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we all have blind spots, right? Absolutely. And we cannot see those until, and, and the people who see our blind spots with crystal clear 2020 vision are our enemies or mm-hmm. our opponents or people who are on the other side, you know? So that's why the unity theme is, is partly about, Gosh, let's do something crazy and let's listen to each other and not mock each other. Let's right. just give each other the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So good. So good. So tell us the name of the website where people can find your website. If they want to get more information, look and see exactly what you're talking about. Tell us what that website is.
1: Okay. Boomtown Rags is the store mm-hmm. just in time for Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, really funny really funny gifts t-shirts hats mugs and stuff um and you can also reach me through that um todd at boomtown rags is you know through any, anything um as a copywriter my web port my portfolio is todd TV, as in television
0: okay
1: todd ToddColeman.tv. T o d d c o l e m a n.
0: Awesome. Awesome. We've got like about maybe five or 10 minutes left, Todd. Tell us what else could you tell us or what would you want to say in the next five or 10 minutes? What would you want the audience to know in the next five or 10 minutes? It's
1: very interesting. Very interesting. Now, what came to mind was that A man that I'm a big fan of said, um, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So the idea that truth sets us free, the corollary to that is that lies and and untruths and false beliefs bind us. Mm -hmm. And we all want to be free. Right. We all want to, we all know that there's more to me than what I'm currently living you know there's so much more that's possible um so my prayer these days is um show me what's possible Mm. show me what's possible I know my limitations Mm. and I find them super frustrating you know (laughs) like to your earlier point you know I wish I was a lot more disciplined Mm -hmm. you know I wish i I often wish I didn't have ADD, you know, I could stay focused a little longer, Um, but I also recognize that ADD is part of, for me, the gift of creativity um, and my ability to create associations between things that seem completely unrelated and yet on some brilliant level are somehow connected is somehow all tied to this right brain, which is so brilliant um, versus our analytical left brain. Right, you know, right. but, but, but basically I kind of want to say that if the truth sets us free, then that means the truth is a good thing. That means because we live in a world, if you're, if you're a materialist, humanist, um, good person, you know, you're just going through life. The, the existentialist will tell you the truth is t- horrendous, but you have to face it. Right. Life is meaningless, but you have to bravely take it on and, <laughs> and, and receive the, the meaninglessness of life. that like your life, does means nothing. You're unimportant. Boom. So that's that's one possibility. That reality, that truth, is not a good thing. Yeah. But if if truth sets you free, then maybe truth, maybe the ultimate reality behind everything, is actually something so much better. Than anything we ever imagined, mm. and so that looking for truth is pursuing is pursuing something that will make us more alive right than than we could ever have imagined
0: imagine. absolutely absolutely Todd, thank you so much. It was such a breath of fresh air, pleasure to have you on. Thank you for gracing us and being a part and just sharing sharing your wealth of knowledge, your journey. For your transparency on the day before thanksgiving <laughs> thank you for making yourself available to us so much appreciated and just honor you and what you do todd the wordsmith coleman this is valerie todd stay with me if you can this is valerie of Dimensional of talent streams that is going to do it for us this week I will be back again next week. You can catch me on TW3radio.com every Thursday, at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as well as LJDNpodcast.com every Tuesday and Saturday. This is gonna be Valerie of Dimensional Talent Streams redirecting you and being fruitful and multiplying. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Until next week, bye-bye.